Well, good job being here on Daylight Savings Weekend. Uh, Some of you, though, are probably just early for the 1045 service today, aren't you? Reminds me of a man who once said, I set my alarm to tell me when to get up, but some days I need something to tell me why I should get up. In his new book called Truth Changes Everything, Jeff Myers, president of Summit Ministries, where many of our students and young adults have received apologetics training and where Nick Fry has served the last two summers, writes these words, quote, America has passed a tipping point. A majority now say that truth is up to the individual and that ultimate truth cannot be known. Learning to speak our own truths was supposed to lead to dignity and harmony. Instead, our society struggles with unprecedented levels of social conflict, purposelessness, and loss of identity. He shares some alarming statistics. Here's the first. 75% of young adults say that they are unsure of their purpose in life. Now, don't go over that too quickly. Three out of four are wondering why they're even here. And check out the second one. 50% believe there is no absolute value associated with human life. John Stone Street offers this commentary. Our real, real cultural crisis is a catastrophic culture-wide loss of meaning. And now we are living with the existential results of a culture untethered from God and therefore untethered from any fixed reference point for truth, for morality, for identity, and for meaning. Okay, that's national statistics. Let's bring it closer to home. Something happened in our community this past Monday night when a 13-year-old boy allegedly held a woman at gunpoint in Davenport while she was driving her car at 8.30 at night and struck her in the head with his gun and stole her car before getting in a chase with police and crashing the vehicle here in Rock Island. And so props to the Davenport Police Department and the Rock Island Police Department for chasing the boy on foot and arresting him. I mean, speaking of our officers, many of us have been praying for Sergeant William Lind from the East Moline Police Department, and I just heard that he's out of ICU, and we rejoice with that. But it makes me wonder, how does that woman, that woman feel? What kind of trauma did she experience? And what would cause a 13-year-old to be so untethered from truth that he would have no regard for the value of human life? I also wonder about that boy's parents. What's going on in their world? What's going on in that family? And I'm more convinced than ever of the need for us to live on mission by taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to people living without purpose today. 
Now, in contrast to the despair found in the younger generation, I want to share this picture of our students praying on Wednesday night. After Pastor Chris spoke on prayer, they divided into groups, and you can see many of them are on their knees, and they're praying through seven different topics. They rotated. They spent five minutes on a topic. And here are the topics they prayed for. Number one, they prayed for their friends who aren't saved yet. And then they prayed for unreached people groups, people who have not heard the name of Jesus. With our election coming up, they prayed for our political leaders. And then they prayed for the sick and the injured, for their spiritual leaders. And they prayed for their enemies. And then they prayed for the world as a whole. Some students had never prayed for more than a few minutes at a time. So to spend a total of 35 minutes in prayer, that was something very new. Tears were shed. Hugs took place as students encouraged each other. Several students said, hey, can we do this again? And they finished the night with small group leaders praying over the students. And at the end of the night, Pastor Chris commented, at one point I stood in the middle of the room and surrounding me, I could hear this generation crying to God in prayer. Church, it's our time now, so join me as we pray for them and as we pray for our children down in the nursery and in our preschool area. We're going to pray for junior hires, for high school, and our young adults. God, it's humbling and it's hopeful to see teenagers who are following you, who are praying for revival and praying for the nations and praying for our country. And Lord, as we now take our focus on you, we focus on you and we plead with you on behalf of the dear children that you've entrusted to the ministry here at Edgewood. Thank you for each uh, servant who's caring for babies in the nursery right now. Lord, for those who are working in the preschool area and loving on children and teaching them gospel truth. Lord, we thank you for the elementary department and all that's happening there. Lord, for junior hires, many who are searching for who they are and many insecure and wondering about their image and and so many things. Lord, thank you for our junior high leaders. Lord, we thank you for our high schoolers. Lord, we pray that you would give them your meaning, your purpose, And Lord, that they would live boldly for you amongst their generation. Lord, we thank you for the young adults who are involved here at Edgewood for our mainspring ministry. And Lord, we pray that they would live for you in the midst of a culture that's going south, that they would continue to hold on to truth. And Lord, now it's our joy as we continue in worship, as we open up your word. Holy Spirit, be our teacher Use your word to encourage us and to equip us. We give you these moments now in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, we're going through the first chapter of the book of Genesis and last week we focused on what God did on days four and five 
and the first part of day six. And we celebrated this truth that God forms and he fills his creation for his glory and for our good. Next weekend, our topic is on gender matters. You might want to invite a friend to join you or a family member or send the link after the service. I do want to give parents a heads up. The message next week will have a PG rating. We'll be talking about things that for some of your children, they're not ready to hear. Wanted you to be aware of that. Now, for some of your children, perhaps you'll be like, no, I want them to hear what God has to say. That's your decision, but I didn't want to ambush you on that before uh, you come. Our focus today is only on one verse. I know you're thinking like, man, we get out early today. (laughs) Nice try. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Worship with me as I read these words. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Our main idea is this, because you and I are image bearers of God, our purpose is to reflect, to reveal and to represent him. We could also say it like this, our identity comes from being image bearers of God. We're going to begin with exposition. We'll look at this verse. We'll look at some of the words, some of the phrases. We'll seek to understand it. And then we're going to conclude with 20 different implications of our text today that will help us remain tethered to the truth as we live in our society today. Notice how verse 26 begins. Then God said. It's as if there's this solemn pause after God formed and he filled the earth in the previous verses. As he considered creating man and woman, anticipation builds. And we get ready to hear what God is going to do next, where he says, let us make man. That phrase, let us, is an emphatic imperative. It could be translated this way, we will. (laughs) It's as if God is consulting within himself before creating man. Up until this point, God's speaking had been intentionally measured when he said, let there be, but with the creation of man, it becomes more intimate, more magnified. And that certainly comes, we see in chapter two. Now, the plural use of the word us is early evidence for the Trinity, as is the name Elohim, which is in the plural. The word said is singular, signifying that there is plurality in God within oneness. I like how one pastor captures it. God who is one communes with himself, the Father to the Son, the Son to the Spirit, the Spirit to the Father, and in perfect agreement, Adam and Eve were created. 
The word make means to accomplish or complete. It referred to an activity with a distinct purpose or a goal in mind. The name, the word for man is Adam, Adam, which was the generic term for mankind, but it was also the proper name, Adam, which refers to the first created male. Humans were the last of God's created creatures, and they were the crowning achievement of creation. Animals were made according to their kinds, but humans, humans are in a class way above all other creation. We are the crescendo of God's creative genius. In addition, the creation of man and woman is narrated in much greater detail as we get to chapter 2. No other part of creation is given this much attention. Now, drop down one verse to Genesis 1.27. This will be our preaching text for next weekend. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. So three times we're told God created man, and the fact that we are made in his image is emphasized twice. There is no room for harmonizing the Genesis account with some evolutionary origin of man. So listen, lean in. You are not the result of some coincidental cosmic accident. Nor have you somehow evolved from a single-celled organism over the space of a million years. You are more than matter. And you matter greatly to the Almighty. You are more than an animal. You are not a fursona or a furry And since you are a product of divine design, you have been created with dignity, with value, with purpose, and with great worth. And some of you don't believe that, but you need to know it's the truth. Genesis helps us answer these questions. Where did I come from? That's the question of origins. Why am I here? the question of purpose and question three where am i going that's the question of destiny and you can't answer the last two until you settle the first one so when we compromise what the bible says about creation we end up confused about our origins we end up having no clue about our purpose in life nor our destiny in death so this passage It gives us three purposes. Would you note, number one, to reflect. Let us make man in our image. That word in means in essence as. The word image in Hebrew refers to a statue or a model. It's meant to show an image of somebody. One illustration I thought of is the Abraham Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., The craftsmanship is so good, it makes you think Abe is actually sitting there. Even though it's just a statue, it's just an image. It's just a reflection, if you will. Now, this doctrine is often referred to as the Imago Dei. 
That's a Latin phrase meaning the image of God. So what does it mean that you and I are made in God's image? Well, since God is spirit, that likely refers to human life as a reflection of God's nature. I like how Ligonier Ministries captures it. This is the ministry started by R.C. Sproul. Quote, we are like God in ways that nothing else in creation is like God, although we are not so like him that there is no distinction between creator and creature. Now let's consider what it means to be created in God's image. What does that mean? Well, here's some possibilities. First, we exhibit some of God's characteristics. Theologians put it like this, we share in some of God's communicable attributes. We don't share in all of God's attributes, and even some of those that we do share in, it's very partial and limited. I think of Attributes like truth and love and kindness and goodness and compassion and wisdom and holiness and justice. Secondly, we're able to worship. The book of Ecclesiastes says we've been created to be worshipers. That's different from the animals. He has put eternity into man's heart. We've been given dignity. Psalm 8, verse 5 says we've been crowned with glory and honor. Each person has a personality, a unique personality, like some more than others, right? (laughs) We're also able to be aware. We have the ability to be self-conscious. We can communicate. We've been given the ability to communicate with words, with expressions, even through sign language. I think of one of our young adults who's planning to serve overseas, ministering in a country that's unreached and hard to serve in, ministering to refugees in that country from another country, refugees who can't hear. And because she's been trained in sign language, that's what she'll be doing. She has a table set up today. You can learn more about that. Next, our minds can reason. We can use logic. We have a conscience. We know the difference between right and wrong. Romans 2.15, their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And finally, we have a soul, a spirit, and a will. Friends, because we are image bearers of God, our purpose is to reflect to reveal, and to represent him. Well, let's look at our second purpose. It's drawn from the phrase, after our likeness. If you look over at chapter 5, verse 1, this idea is repeated. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, the word likeness is almost, but not quite synonymous with image, It serves to intensify it as this like emphatic superlative. One commentator suggests we could read it like this, as the likeness or in the likeness of our image. So while image and likeness are closely related, there are some differences. The word likeness was often used as a simile to compare two unlike 
things. If you read through the first couple chapters of the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel's trying to describe the throne room of God, and he's like, well, it's like this. It's like a rainbow. It's like these bright lights. And in chapter 1, verse 10, he says, it's like a man. Now, at the risk of oversimplifying, you and I are like a mirror which reveals God. When people look at us, they should learn some of what God is like. And when we look at others, we must remember that they too reflect and reveal some of what God is like in a very limited and deeply flawed way, the same with us. Psalm 19.1 tells us the heavens declare the glory of God and Genesis 1.26 reminds us we have been uniquely created to reflect and reveal who God is since we've been made in his image and likeness. Get this. As humans, our worth and our value is intrinsic because we've been created in the image and likeness of God, our role is to display his character. Listen, you don't have to work to establish your worth. You are already worthy because of who made you. To fully know who you are, you must first know whose you are. According to Isaiah 43.7, the main reason we've been created is to show forth God's glory. Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So because we are image bearers of God, our purpose is to reflect, to reveal, and to represent him. Well, let's look at that third one, to represent. I'm in the second half of verse 26 and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth the word dominion means to exercise domain rule to subjugate and so part of our purpose is to be lovingly to lovingly rule over god's created order as his earthly vice regents. God has given us delegated authority. Well, let's get this straight. He's the sovereign. We are stewards of the responsibility he's given us to care for his creation. The invisible God is represented on earth in visible human form, and we are to manage the earth on his behalf for his glory. Now, this also suggests facing down opposition in anticipation of spiritual encounters with evil. One hint is the coming conflict. Notice chapter 4, verse 7 If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. One translation says its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. And so just as kings in ancient times would often set up statues 
of themselves in remote areas to show their sovereign domain, so too God established humans as his representatives on earth. I like how one commentator puts it, we are not to make images of God because he has already done so. We are his images. We've been made in his image. We are made in his likeness. Therefore, he values us very highly. We are made to resemble and reflect his majesty as his ruling representatives. So because we are image bearers of God, reveal and to represent him. Now, let's transition to what does all this mean today? Let's look at some implications. I'm going to suggest many, and it's not even all that you might think of. That's okay. You think of other ways to apply this, but this will get us started. But Let's set the table with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Ponder this. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. You, it is immortals whom you joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. What he's getting at there is there is dignity in every single human being. I like this phrase that one pastor popularized, you have never looked in the eyes of someone who doesn't matter to God. You've never looked in the eyes of someone who doesn't matter to God. Well, that's why the Declaration of Independence contains these weighty words We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So self-evident truths are those that are so obvious they don't need any explaining. Unalienable rights are rights that cannot be taken away because they belong to us by virtue of being a member of the human race. Listen, these rights don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from the creator of the universe stated right here in Genesis 1.26. Now, because everyone you meet is an image bearer of God, it's important to treat everyone with respect, with dignity, and with kindness. So we had an action step recently was this. Every time you look at God's creation, whether it's a tree, the sky, you're looking at birds or animals, you're seeing a sun come up or a sunset, to say out loud, God made that. Well, I'm going to suggest an action step today. Whenever you look at someone God created, a fellow human, say this phrase, he or she is an image bearer of God. Now you can say that to yourself quietly, or you may need to say it out loud so that it sinks in. Now let's look at 
20, actually I've added one, 21 practical ways that you and I can live this out. Number one, don't curse someone or gossip about them. So here's what we tend to do. We tend to categorize and then criticize and then cancel people. We're like, yeah, I'm done with that person. See, but we need to remember, every individual reflects and represents God's image. James 3, 8 and 9, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made, listen, in the likeness of God. He or she, that person you're in the middle of gossiping about, that person you're in the middle of slandering, yeah, that person is made in the image of God. Number two, prisoners are made in the image of God. You know, sometimes we look down on those who are incarcerated, and we forget what Jesus said in Matthew 25, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least Of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, as a way to minister to prisoners, our Awana and Edge Kids ministry colored over 50 placemats. These placemats will be taken to a prison, the Western Illinois Correctional Center. There's a group of three guys here from Edgewood who are headed over there. I think they leave Thursday, and they'll be ministering at the prison. These placemats will be used for their meal, and then they'll be allowed to be taken back into their cells. They've also will receive dozens of cookies, which an Edgewood member supplied. Friends, remember, prisoners are image bearers of God. Next, the preborn matter. So in the midst of all the vitriolic verbiage going on in our country right now, wherever you land politically, let's just take that and put it aside right now. That's hard to do, but let's, let's look at what does the Bible say. You see, the primary question related to abortion is this. Are the preborn people who are made in the image of God and here's the truth. Abortion dehumanizes. That's not a person. It dehumanizes and then destroys a human life. This week, NPR aired a very disturbing audio of a woman getting an abortion at a Michigan abortion clinic. I was mortified when I heard about it and I wasn't sure I wanted to listen to listen to it. But I decided to do so. In honor of the young image bearer who was murdered. Now, I said more about that last night, and I realized I probably said too much, so I'm not going to say it today, but let me just say it was horrifying and nauseating. Psalm 139, verse 13 tells us life begins at conception. And the preborn are distinct, living, and whole members of the human species, regardless of their size 
or location and therefore must be protected. Now, let me be so quick to add this. If you've had an abortion or you've encouraged someone to have one, you matter to God. He loves you. You are made in his image. And he longs to bring you hope and healing through the freedom and forgiveness that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we can help connect you to a group. There's many women here who've been involved in a group that provides healing. You see, he or she is an image bearer of God. Next, avoid all ageism. Hey, don't look down on someone who's older or younger because everyone you meet is an image bearer of God. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth. Leviticus 19.32, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. I'm still waiting for that to happen. He or she, no matter what age, is an image bearer of God. Next, reject all racism and all anti-Semitism. Everyone matters because everyone is made in the image of God. I mean, there's anti-Semitism all over our headlines and our news feeds. It's, it's growing in in our country right now. There's no place for that, and there's no place for racism. James 2.1 says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. If you're following the Edgewood Bible reading plan, the reading for today from the book of Esther describes what Haman did as he tried to exterminate all the Jews, and God raised up Mordecai and Esther to stop that. Listen, everyone is an image bearer of God. Now, let me go to an area that, that maybe some of us don't want to think about, but we need to. Are you aware that the people you disagree with politically matter to God? <laughs> You're not sure? <laughs> Well, in our culture, it, it doesn't seem that way, right? I mean, we're so divided. And so many candidates are assassinating the character of those they are running against, forgetting that their opponent is an image bearer of God. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another. I often have wondered what would happen if a candidate would make a kind commercial. <laughs> With this voiceover, my opponent seems like an involved parent who's striving to live out what is important to him or her. She or he seems to be an upright citizen. However, I believe my policies are better, and therefore I ask you to vote for me. Why aren't there ads like that? Oh, there you go. Remember, it's possible to disagree agreeably. He or she is an image bearer of God. Now, speaking of voting, demonstrate your dominion by voting. As I see it, voting is part of our representing and ruling purpose right from Genesis 1.26. Are you aware that the Apostle Paul took advantage of his Roman citizenship 
in Acts chapter 25. And we have the privilege as Americans to vote biblical values. I like what Samuel Adams said in this regard. Let each citizen remember at the moment he is offering his vote that he's not making a present or a compliment to please an individual, or at least that he ought not so to do, but that he is executing one of the most solemn trusts in human society for which he is accountable to God and his country. There are many churches today acknowledging this weekend and next weekend that there are persecuted believers serving in hard places. Many of them in prison, many of them meeting in underground churches. You and I must remember that these are image-bearing Christ followers living for Christ in very hard places. And Hebrews 13.3 calls us to pray and to care for them as if we were in prison with them. Next, let's give dignity to those with special disabilities or genetic disorders. Luke 14 says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind and you will be blessed. I saw an example of this this week. I went to our bank. I hadn't been in the bank for a long time. I needed to get something, so I'm standing in line, and up by one of the tellers was an individual who had some special needs. And he was trying to explain to the teller what his situation was. And at different points, his voice raised, and I could tell by looking at the teller that this was a difficult situation. Here's what struck me. No matter what he did, she responded with phrases like this. Oh, I'll see if I can help you. She kept smiling. Where the rest of the bank, we were all noticing and listening to this. She treated that man with the dignity that he deserved. But it struck me that that's not usually how that happens. He or she is an image bearer of God. Friends, next, let's not ignore the marginalized. Proverbs 22.2, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Don't walk by people and treat them as invisible, especially here at church. You know, people come in with burdens. And needs. There's people here today for the very first time. I met a bunch right before. So those of us who've been here a long time, let's make sure we're reaching out and, and those who are struggling that they find hope and healing and, and a friendly face and someone who's willing to pray for them. Next, let's give respect to refugees and immigrants. Leviticus 19.34, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. He or she is an image bearer of God. Next, love your enemies. We don't have an escape clause just because we don't care for someone or because we consider them to be an enemy. Matthew 5:44 Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He or she is an image bearer of God. Next, practice purity. 
You see, as image bearers of God, remember to treat other image bearers with purity and respect. 1 Timothy 5.2 says, Men are to treat women as sisters in all purity. He or she is an image bearer of God. Next, avoid hatred in your heart. 1 John 3.15 equates hatred as murder, and the murder of a fellow image bearer has severe consequences. He or she is an image bearer of God. Honor orphans and widows. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. He or she is an image bearer of God. And finally, here's some others I jotted down. I'll go through these quickly. Be sensitive to the deaf and the hard of hearing. Be sensitive to those who are blind and those who struggle with their eyesight. Care for those who struggle with mental health issues, with depression, suicidal tendencies. Be careful about judging people who sin differently than you do. And remember this. No matter how you're feeling today, no matter what you've been through, you matter to God. And some of you don't believe it because of what you've done or what's been done to you. You matter. You matter because you're an image bearer of God. You were made for Him, not for yourself. And because you're an image bearer of God, your purpose is to reflect, to reveal, and represent Him. You don't have to perform for Him. You don't have to do penance in order to find your purpose. No, God has made a way for you to have your sins forgiven and to have the image of God restored in your life. Jesus died in your place. He paid the price for all your sins. And then he rose again on the third day. It's time to repent and receive him now. You see, lost people matter. And that's why we believe in missions, why we take the gospel to the ends of the earth, the unreached matter. They need to hear about Jesus. I was on the elevator at the hospital this week and there was a nurse on the elevator with me and I complimented her. I said, thank you for all you do to help people. Well, just then we landed at our floor. She smiled, the doors opened and she turned back and she said this phrase, well, if I can help at least one person a day, I'll make it to heaven. Well, realizing I only had seconds to respond I said something like this, actually the only way to get to heaven is by trusting in the work Jesus has done when he paid the price for all of our sins. Now, I don't know what she's going to do with that. I actually don't even know if she heard it as she walked away. But I pray that she would trust in the good work of Jesus and not in her good works before it's too late. Speaking of being too late, I've been pumped about trying the new Curter burger at Culver's. It's like this cheeseburger with this big wedge of a cheese curd on it. I promoted it on Facebook. I talked about it to people, and I just encouraged people to get one of those. Now, I knew it was a limited time offer, but I thought I had plenty of time to get one. 
So with great expectation, last Sunday after the second service, Beth and I went to Culver's. In the drive-thru in Culver's, I look at the menu board and it's not on there. And so this chirpy voice comes through and wants to take my order and I say, I'd like a Curter burger. And she said, we're all sold out of those. It was a limited time offer. Now my response was subdued and mature as I shouted, What? (laughs) It's too late? No! (laughs) I pouted. I ended up getting a kid's Scoopy meal. (laughs) And I ate the custard before the cheeseburger. Well, later on, Beth told me my response was over the top and I probably frightened the worker. (laughs) This week, Marie in the office, who puts together our discussion questions, so she reads over the manuscript, she said, hey, Brian, I think you forgot she was an image bearer. (laughs) I'm like, yikes. Jesus offers you salvation from your sins, but it's a limited time offer. You need to act before it's too late because someday it will be too late. So you need to repent and receive Him as your Lord and Savior right now. Listen, until you are in a right relationship with your Creator and your Redeemer, your life will have no meaning. Your life will have no purpose. You'll not know why you're you're here. But once you receive Christ, you'll not only be able to get up in the morning, you'll know why you're getting up. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Jesus perfectly reflects and reveals and represents the image of God so that image-bearing followers of Christ can be transformed. Listen to this beautiful verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into, here's the word, into the same image. You see, the image of God in us is marred, broken, stepped on, torn because of sin. But through a relationship with Christ, we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Another. 